Well, hello, friends. I'm Matt Silver, pastor of Experience Christian Church, and so glad you're joining us for this message on anxious for nothing. So let me ask you, how are you sleeping these days? Me? I'm not doing so well. I have a Fitbit tracker, and it haunts me every morning when I check it to see how I slept the night before, because there is lots of tossing and turning, and there's just so much going on, so much changing every day. There's new articles about new things to worry about, the unemployment rate going up, the statistics about who are sick are starting to become more personal because now we're starting to know people that are being affected by the virus directly. Uh, folks are struggling to keep their businesses operational. Now they're struggling to finish these online applications to keep some finances available for their business. There's just a lot. And I'm not the only one. I talked to a guy this week who just says, I'm really struggling with the heaviness of all the people I'm interacting with. And I am usually consider myself a strong guy. Well, what's the matter with them? Another uh, parent I talked to, their son is a, in the doctor field, and he's worried about him. He's so proud that he's actually helping other people and, and standing up strong for those that need it, but he's worried that he might get sick. That's a problem, right? Well, what's the matter with us? Why are we struggling? And the reality is we're humans. As humans, we're going to deal with anxiety, and sometimes we get these bad thoughts in our mind that maybe something's wrong with us if we're struggling with anxiety. Maybe if we're a Christian, we're like, I just don't know if I'm spiritual enough. But that's simply not the case. We all are going to struggle with anxiety, especially in tough times. And it's helpful when we go into this week and remember that Jesus himself struggled with anxiety. Jesus, he struggled with anxiety in the garden as he was questioning and dealing with what was ahead of him. And he himself, he struggled with anxiety so much that he questioned just if he was going to be able to endure if you remember, he, uh, it's recorded that Luke said that he actually sweat drops of blood. That's an intense amount of anxiety. You know, for me, anxiety isn't a new thing. I've been dealing with anxiety since I was a small child. I can remember when I was four, I went to the mall with my parents. And when I walked in this one particular store, I just threw up as soon as we walked in. And for the longest time, I just didn't want to go back there. I can remember uh, like crying. She's like, we're going to go to the mall. I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. In fourth grade, I remember every day, just right before lunchtime, being like, I don't want to go to the lunchroom and just tell my friends, like, I don't feel good. In sixth grade, I started dealing with some headaches, and they were stress headaches. And I can remember going home several days in sixth grade. When I was, uh, I guess it was in college, I started dealing with some um, anxiety that was pretty severe. And I just remember, like, I don't know if something medically is wrong with me. I really questioned how I was doing and if I was going to be able to make it. In retail, it was one of my first jobs. I was a third key manager. I remember all this pressure I would feel, like if my boss was traveling, I was like, what if I get sick? And who would run the store then? And now, two decades later, do I still struggle with anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. Now it just manifests itself in different ways. Like now I worry about, usually weekly, if I'm going to get the message done on time, or if it's going to matter to anyone, or if it's going to disappoint God. And these are real anxious thoughts that may not make sense to someone else, but to me, they're very real. And sometimes... Honestly, it gets so heavy that I'll just break down a little bit and cry. I don't know if you, speaking of crying, if you ever watch uh, This Is Us, one of the most touching moments for me personally was when Randall talked about how he was so upset that he passed his anxiety onto his daughter, Tess. And that was just really close to my heart because two of my three children deal with anxiety. My wife, Carrie, deals with anxiety. This week, I came to the realization that our cat, our cat deals with anxiety. Like every time we open the sliding door, she's like, crawls out. If it's like the first time and she's scared and she looks around and all of a sudden she just darts out and then we let her back in, she just hauls it right inside the house. Half the time she's in the house, she's actually like, her ears are constantly going forward and back, forward and back. Just anxiety is very real. 
But one thing I know is it takes a lot of patience to deal with somebody else when they're anxious, doesn't it? It takes a lot of patience when our pets are dealing with anxiety. And you know what? It takes a lot of patience when we deal with our own anxious conditions. It's a pretty heavy thing to deal with. Well, in this series that we're doing, it's called Anxious for Nothing. And we all want to get better when dealing with our anxiety. It's just a hard thing to deal with. And this series is just really good because it causes us to think about, are we stuck in this anxious place? Is there anything that we can do about it? And the answer is yes. I believe that we can. This isn't an original idea for me. I've been reading the book by Max Lucado called Anxious for Nothing. And this quote, he says, I just keep coming back to it. He says, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. That's such a great statement because it gives us some hope, doesn't it? I've listened to four other pastors preach on this subject. I've thought about my own messages I've written. I've thought about how I've applied this verse in my own life and how important it's been to carry me through some hard seasons and how I've actually offered it to other people as a particular prayer format. And it's just a beautiful thing to see how these can come across. I was talking to a friend this week and she's like, I just love like this calm acrostic because it's so memorable. And I was like, yeah, it is, isn't it? I was like, what's it stand for again? And you know what? She couldn't remember. I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. But do you remember what it stands for? Let's read over the verse again, and then we'll review the acrostic together at the end. Uh, the verse is Philippians 4, 4 through 8. And just a reminder, this is written by a man named Paul. And Paul is writing from prison, not from a paradise resort, from prison. And he had plenty to be anxious about, yet he still writes these words to us. In Philippians 4, 4, we'll start there. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And data needs five verses as a game plan from Paul that can help us manage of our anxiety. It can take us, take us from anxiousness to peace, from chaos to calm. And that was the acrostic that we used. It was calm. And the first one that we said was C stood for celebrate. And it was to celebrate who God is, that he was near. We got that off verse four and five. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, Paul didn't want us to celebrate in the hard things that we were dealing with. He wanted to celebrate in who God was, that he's both good and worthy to be trusted and in control, even when things feel chaotic. He's also near us. He's not distant, off on his own place. No, he's near us. Because you know what happens when we think about a problem, right? The problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. When we focus our attention on God, well, it puts that problem in its proper perspective, its proper size. The following week was on A, asking God. And we said verse 6 was, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And there we said Paul used three particular words for prayer. He says prayer, petitions, and requests. And we use that as a target analogy where prayers is just this very general prayer. It's like, God, please be with our family. Please be with John. Please be with the country. But then when you hone in a little bit more, you have petitions. And petitions are these humble requests, God. Please help us with what we're dealing with now. God, help my marriage. Help me. And it's help me. And that's what it's really about. It's about asking God for help. 
But the most specific targeted thing is those prayer it is, or the um, requests. And requests, they're very specific. And we said the more specific we get, the more we're able to deal with our anxiety because it's specific requests. We said if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And last week we talked about listing it. And that was out that one word in verse 6, which was thanksgiving. And we said gratitude is such a great thing to deal with anxiety because we said as thankfulness goes up, anxiety goes down. And we said we should be thankful for specific things. So here we are this week. It's week four. It's the final week. And again, each of these weeks builds off the previous ones. And so this week is on M, and it's Mind Your Mind. And we're focusing on verse 8. Let's read that together. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And what Paul is telling us is we need to mind our minds. We need to think about the things that we allow to come in, to settle us. Because if we're not careful, things can fill our minds that will not help us, but instead make us very anxious. And so Max Lucado, he said this. He says, there's several things you can't choose. And he says, you didn't select your birthplace or your birth date. You didn't choose your parents or siblings. You don't determine the weather or the amount of salt in the ocean. There are many things in life over which you have no choice. But the greatest activity of life is well within your dominion. You can choose what you will, what you think about. None of us have chosen the things that we're facing today. We didn't ask for this season, but we can choose what we think about, what we dwell upon. We're going to have to mind our mind. I have a friend who is an air traffic controller at an airport in San Diego, and he manages about 800 to 1,200 flights a day. And of those planes that come in and out of his airport, there are several different kinds. Some are cargo planes, some are charter planes, some are single engines, some are double engines, some are jets. And there's so many variables of the kinds of planes that come in and out. And each one comes at a different speed, which creates a unique challenge. Some are scheduled in advance, like a lot of the commercial airlines, and others can just show up on his air, on his, um, in his airspace unannounced. And yet he's in charge of coordinating all those flights as they come in. You know, some of those single engine planes are coming in at 100 miles an hour, while some of the jets, they can be over 500 miles an hour. So he has to line them up enough time to land, clear off the runway for the next plane to come in. It's a pretty stressful job. And he says, it's so much better when I can plan ahead because it makes things easy and safe. But his job is to make sure that each of those planes can come in. He chooses which ones land. And if it's too complicated or too risky, he can actually divert aircraft to do another lap. Or even more so, he can direct them to go to another airport. And that's the responsibility of an air traffic controller, to see what's going to come in. Well, that's really what Paul's telling us to do. We function as air traffic controllers for our minds. There are so many thoughts that are above and circling around, and we get to choose which ones come in and which ones we allow to land. We need to take responsibility for the ones that we allow to stick with us. The ones that we allow to come in, well, we hold responsibility for that. And we're also responsible for the ones that we say, don't come here. Or, hey, you've landed, but I need you to take off again and get out of here. That's important for us to realize that we can control the thoughts that we're dealing with. And so that's our big challenge today, is to mind our minds. Now, as we look at Paul's letter today when it comes to anxiety, that's what we're going to be doing. He gives us a list of things that we should allow to come in. And here's our pattern. He says, hey, yes, you're going to be dealing with hard things. He understands that. He's like, you're going to deal with things that are untrue. You're going to deal with a bunch of worries that may never amount to anything. So don't let them come in. 
You're going to deal with criticism from other people. Don't let that come in. Instead, he said, here's the list that you allow to come in. And we'll list it this way. It was, again, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right or pure or lovely or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As the air traffic controller, this is our list of thoughts where we say, hey, come on in. You're clear for landing. I don't want to get all Greeky on you. But the Greek word there is logizomai, and it means to think about. And I bet you can figure out the English root word there, and it's logic. And Paul's point is pretty simple. Our greatest weapon against anxiety is a clear-headed, logical mind. Not every thought that we have is worth thinking about. Not every worry is worth pondering. Because if we let them linger, there are some consequences. So Paul's telling us to think about what we're thinking about. We have to use logic to determine if a thought is helpful or destructive. And here's the criteria he gives us. The first thing he says is whatever's true. You know, if we just applied this one, how much pain would we save ourselves? There are so many things that consume our mind off feelings like, I just feel like this could happen. Or what if this happens? Or my gut's just telling me. But you know, statistics, if they're true, and how do you actually track this statistic, says 90% of the things we worry about actually never come to pass. And so we waste so much energy worrying about things that might never happen. All the what-ifs, especially now, some of them may not happen. So let's just focus on the things that we know are true and deal with those. The next thing was whatever's noble. And other translations say honorable. And this is the kind of thought that you'd say, hey, is this something that would make me raise my head high? I'm proud of. Or is it something that would make me doubt my head a little bit and just feel a little bit of shame? Paul's saying if it's shame, don't let it land. Send it on. He says, right. This means innocent or holy. And for me, it just makes me think of right angles. You know, whenever I'd build things with my dad on our farm, we would take out a, a square and we would check to see if it was square, if it was right in its angle. And if it had a sturdy base, well, we knew we could build other things on it. And so for me, it's just a reminder, is this thought that I have worth building on? Is it stable? The next one was, is it pure? And this is the idea of being clean and honest. And you could just say, would my mama be proud if I shared this thought out loud? In other words, lovely. And that is just, is this thought pleasing? Would this be encouraging for me to share this thought with someone else? If this thought's about someone else, would they actually feel encouraged to keep pressing on and be proud and excited? And the last one is admirable. Would this thought earn the respect of others if I shared it? So that's the thought process. And Paul used the word whatever. And whatever is a beautiful term because it gives us a lot of freedom to think about whatever, right? So if it's in that criteria, we can focus on it. So, hey, what if you're feeling anxious? Maybe take a walk in nature right now. Nature is screaming that spring is on the horizon. You know, everything else is telling us to hunker down and be safe. But every time I look out my window, the tree's budding, the flower's popping up. Soon spring will be announced by God that, hey, we are moving on. And that's a great thing for me to think about. Maybe you're feeling forgotten. If you're feeling that way, well, lean into that feeling. Call someone that you care about. Do a check-in. And I bet you'll realize that they're feeling that same way. When you have that connection, something true happens, something encouraging happens. And that's great. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's art that fills you up. So it's drawing or it's expressing yourself in a creative way. It's music or it's watching a movie. Maybe it's something that can just fill your bucket up that way. Whatever is what Paul said. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's beautiful. Lewis Smedes, he says it this way. He said, God is so great he does not need to be our only joy. There is an earthly joy, a joy of the outer, 
as well as the inner self. The joy of dancing as well as kneeling. The joy of playing as well as praying. And I believe you can ask God to show you some things that he could use or that you could use to fill yourself up. When anxiety goes up, what could you get out of your mind and fill your mind with that'll just be a great release? It's not an escape. It's just your focus on things that are good, that are true, that are noble. And for me, filling my mind with things that are true, noble, and right on all that list, that comes from Scripture. I make it a daily practice to try to read some sort of Scripture. And I like what John Ortberg says about this in his book, The Me I Want to Be. He says, if I want my mind to be full of life, I have to pay attention to what it is focused on. One of the greatest gifts God has given the human race is Scripture. Yet we often turn it into a burden. Sometimes people will ask me, how many minutes a day am I supposed to read the Bible? Seven? Fifteen? What's the minimum I can read and not have God be mad at me? He says, that's the wrong question. God's not mad at us for not reading the Bible. No matter how much we read the Bible, he won't love you any more than he loves you right now. The question is, what can you feed your mind with so that it can flourish? Well, just like Philippians 4 deals a lot with anxiety, there are verses that we can look up. And we can actually go to Google and just type in verses about, and it's the thing that's making us nervous about. Whatever we're fearing, there's going to be a list of scriptures on a website that can help us process some of God's truth and let it win out the battle of our minds. Two examples I can give you is I remember when Carrie and I, we met, and I was nervous about getting engaged. I've been feeling like I was in love for quite a while. Of course, she expressed her love for me every day. It was just amazing how it made me feel. She's over there in the corner. She gave me a dirty look. But all that loving, talking about those feelings, there was still this hidden fear. I was like, I just don't know if I want to get engaged, if I'm ready to take it to this level. Carrie and I had both been engaged before, and it felt like this huge step because, well, it's a huge step. And I was listening to the radio as I was driving, and this verse came in. It was 1 John 4.18, and it said that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And that verse, it just stuck with me. And as as if I realized that, man, I cannot concentrate on fear. If I concentrate on fear, I'm never going to move forward in love. But if I focus on love and let love grow, well, it can drive out the fear. Now, admittedly, that verse has nothing to do with marriage. It has to deal with God's love for us and how that could transform us to love other people. So it was connected for me that if I focused on what I loved about Carrie, how she was loving me, well, that would actually drive out that fear. And eventually it did. There's another verse that really jumped down the time of our life when we dealt with cancer with a family member. It wasn't, it wasn't like a what if this happens, what if it's cancer. It was cancer, and it was an eight-and-a-half-year battle. And I stuck with the verse from um, James. It was James 1, 2 through 4. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He ended up dying a martyr's death, and he shared these words. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this reminded me that God was in control. You know, that had a choice. I could consider it pure joy. I wasn't forced to, but I could consider it pure joy. And when James said that word whatever, or whenever rather, it let me remind it's not if I face hard things, it's when I face hard things. And I realized that God was with me, and I realized that God could actually use this for good, as Paul wrote in another passage of scripture. And I was like, God, how can you use this for good? How can this be a beneficial, not only to us, but to others? And I stopped asking the question, why us? And I started thinking, why not us? And God, how can you use this for your good? 
Max Lucado, he says that the healing from anxiety requires healthy thinking. Your challenge is not your challenge. Your challenge is the way you think about your challenge. Your problem is not your problem. It's the way you look at it. And what I found during that season, it was really about focusing not on our problem, but how we saw that problem and how God could use that for good. I've mentioned several times that, uh, I've mentioned before that counseling's always been an important part of our getting healthy plan. And so I got a chance to talk to one of the counselors that's work, that I've worked with that has just been great and asking great questions. You know, when we talk about logic and the need to embrace logic, sometimes we're just stuck and we need outside help letting us know what that logic is. So I got a chance to ask her some questions about this verse and how she applies it to her practice. Check out this. Joemi, you've been so helpful to me personally. We went to you for counseling, myself and Carrie, and you've really been an inspiration for us. We're in this series called Anxious for Nothing. And today we're talking about minding your mind. In this particular day, we're focusing on uh, Philippians 4, 7 and 8. And those verses are in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Paul just gives these things. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And when he says think about such things, it just talks about embracing logic. <laughs> so as a counselor, I just wanted you to be able to talk to us a little bit of how you see the way people's thinking impacts their, in particular, their anxiety. It has a huge impact on anxiety. Um, as I'm thinking about anxiety, everybody has different levels of anxiety to start with. Um, but with COVID-19, all our anxiety levels are raised. Our baseline is higher than normal. Um, so people that weren't dealing with anxiety before, maybe now. And the way we think about things matters. What we take in, um, like watching the news a lot, may make people more anxious. What we take in matters. How we interpret it matters. So it doesn't matter if it's about the virus, about being in, worrying about a job, not having a job, income, or um, uh, the stock market, any of these things. When we go back to thinking about what's good and what's right and what's lovely, um, even being in an argument with somebody in the house kind of locked in, when we think about the positive traits of a person versus what we're angry at, it changes our brain and it settles us. Um, when we notice just being mindful about creation, um, for me, I feel fortunate that it's springtime because I love to watch the flowers come out and the leaves come out on the trees. And I'm looking at the colors and just watching them kind of change day by day. And when I do that, it settles me. That's just being mindful of, of God's creation. It's um, not dwelling on the things that cause me to be anxious or upset. Um, it, in, in some ways, it's distracting, you know, to something that's positive, um, but it changes our brain to do that. And when it's a well-formed habit, we tend to do it automatically. Hmm. Um, until then, it's a practice. It's not being thankful because we feel thankful necessarily. It's being thankful because we choose to be thankful. Um, so it, it's, it's a practice. It's a lifelong practice, I think, for everybody. Yeah. I've read some research that says, you know, our brain pathways can be altered. We can learn new skill sets. And I like what you said there when you mentioned that it's a practice. And so if someone is almost 
resolve themselves to the fact of I'm always going to be anxious or I'm always going to be this way, what would you say to them? I would say that they probably always will have some anxiety and they might have more of a struggle than somebody else does. However, by practicing it, it does change our brain. It becomes a life skill. It becomes a habit. For some people, it even goes from being an area of weakness to an area of strength just because we practice. Just because, you know, you're in, in uh, we aren't having very many traffic jams, but if we were having traffic jams or traffic issues, driving issues, when you make a habit of being thankful to say, okay, God, I don't know why this is going on now, but I trust you in it, and I trust that there's a reason, even if I'm going to be late or even if it's causing me a problem, um, then it changes our brain. Uh, Judy, what are the things that we've talked about before? And I know when I come into your counseling office, you literally have cards and cards of memory verses for people to come pick up and pull in. And so seemingly part of that you've looked at in your practice is not only just thinking about things that are true, but making sure those things true can be biblically grounded. And how have you seen people take verses and really use those to help their anxiety? I think it's important for all of us to hide God's word in our hearts so that it kind of comes up um, organically when we need it. Sometimes it's helpful to have um, images that are straight out of the Bible and places to go in our mind that settle us. Um, some people will think about Jesus looking after the lost sheep and finding it and just holding the lost sheep and that, you know, they're the lost sheep. And so that's comforting to them. Or when uh, Jesus asks for the little children to be able to come to, to him, we're all his children. Um, being able to sit with Jesus, be there, be present, um, sh being sheltered under his wings. There's lots of, lots of imagery through scripture, and when we do that, it soothes our brain. Um, praying soothes our brain. It soothes us. It helps just in, in terms of being mindful and um, kind of knowing our place in, uh, in creation. How would you know that someone is kind of at that verge where they really benefit by seeing a counselor as we're talking to you? Like if you've mentioned, we're all dealing with anxiety at some level, especially with COVID-19, when would you specifically tell someone this is a great indicator that you could probably benefit from some professional help? Well, I think some basics are when they're, when they're, not functioning well. Okay, if they're not sleeping well, they're not eating well, or they're eating excessively, when their life patterns have changed off, the interest that they have in things normally has died off. Um, really, really a life change. Those are the that's the most serious. In terms of working through anxiety things, I think everybody has things in their life um, that they can tweak. Well, thank you for what you do, and thank you for what you've done for us, and I appreciate you jumping in here. Yeah, the, the best way to get a hold of us right now is to get on our website. Um, it's just thepeacemakercenter.org, and there is an online intake form, and it gets processed very quickly um, every day. Excellent. We'll put that on here. Thanks so much, and we look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thanks, Matt. Yep. I want to end today's message by focusing on three planes that we've got to be mindful of. And all three of those planes have pretty devastating results if they make it into our airspace and land and settle in our minds. And the first one is planes from our past. You know, because you're human, there are things on that list from Philippians 4, 8 that are just part of your history. 
But in fact, they're not part of your history because they're good. It's the opposite part that's part of your history. There are things that are unpure, that were uh, not lovely, that were not admirable. They weren't excellent. They weren't praiseworthy. And I know that's true for you because, well, those things are true for me. And if I focus on that pain, if I focus on that regret, well, shame happens. And I feel like, God, how could you even forgive me for what I've done in the past? And when you feel that way, it's important that you rethink about what is true, what is pure, what is excellent. Because God has a plan for that, and he's going to make it work for good when we tell him, Hey, I'm sorry. I repent of those things. I need your forgiveness. And he's quick to forgive us. But I want to remind you practically that Paul lived an imperfect life. You know, we've been talking about how Paul was in prison, and he'd been facing a lot of hardship, not for doing the wrong things, but for doing the right things. But if you were to look at Paul's life a few decades before... Paul was once radically opposed to Christianity. In fact, he would persecute people who were Christians. He was the one chasing them down, putting them in prison. He had even overslain the death of certain Christians. And so he wasn't always a good guy. And he talked about this experience to an understudy named Timothy. And I want to read that verse to you now of how he saw his own past. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. He talks about his pastor. He goes, even though I was once a blasphemer, so he spoke against Jesus, and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out to me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Like Paul said, we are forgiven because of God's graciousness. Don't just focus on previous pains. Send that plane flying. And this next plane is the planes from others. Because you interact with other humans, you interact with people who say things that are untrue, not lovely, that aren't encouraging, that aren't excellent or praiseworthy. And these weren't your thoughts. These were thoughts sent in by someone else, almost like a kamikaze plane to do nothing but hurt you. And if you let those planes come in, if they make it through your airspace, well, they cripple you, don't they? They make you feel things like you're not good enough or smart enough or capable enough. You'll have all these, I'm not enough. You'll start thinking, if only. If only I was prettier. If only I was smarter. If only I had this paid off. If only, if only, if only. And you hear these other persons, these other people's accusatory remarks over and over and over again. But Paul's saying, you've got to get those planes out of there. And how do you do that? Well, you focus on the truth found in Scripture. Scripture is full of things like God knows you. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That he loves you. That he offered Jesus for you. He says things like there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, which means we don't have to stand accused any longer. He says he has a purpose for us, that he wants to do good things in us. Friends, we're enough because the one that's in us is enough. God wants to redeem us and use our lives for good, so don't let those terrible things stay in your mind. And the third plane that I want to talk about is planes that carry truth bombs. Yeah, that one's a little bit of a stretch. But if we're honest, there are some worries that are worth worrying about. And there are some realities that we can't get around. The, the prognosis is bleak. Sometimes we hear remarks that, you know, we're not going to get better. 
or the job is going to be terminated. And that comes across with very real concerns. And it's important that we don't pretend these things aren't true. We're actually dealing with the truth, right? So what do we do when we're stuck in the meantime? Well, what we do is we lean into the truth that we do know, that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that he's going to be with us, that he understands what we're going through. This week's been a really tough week for us. We've had a family friend in my parents' hometown that had passed away after a long, 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 long battle with health concerns. And it was just a really rough time. And she passed away this week, and the family's really hurt, obviously. Us personally, we know a friend who has been placed on hospice, who has days to live, and she's going to leave behind two amazing kids. And we can't pretend that that reality is not true, but at the same time, we can lean into the truth that this life isn't all there is, that Christ promised to be with us, even in the midst of those hard trials. You know, this is the week again, this is Passion Week, where we just start thinking about Christ's impending death on the cross. And when you read about that, you saw that Jesus had to tell his followers on three different occasions that he was going to give his life up for them. And they didn't understand it. It was hard for them to accept that he wasn't going to be there. It was hard for them to accept that they were going to face hard things. And in the midst of that, Jesus said these words to them in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That verse is so beautiful and yet perplexing to me because he's like, find peace, but yet you're going to have trouble. And what he's really saying is in the midst of trouble, we can have peace because, well, he overcame the world. That this world isn't all there is. Hardships and worries will continue to be a part of our earthly existence, but they don't need to define our earthly existence. So what do we get when we apply calm in our lives? Well, verse 7 tells us what the result is. You know, when we choose to celebrate who God is, when we ask him for what we really want, we ask him what we really desire in our hearts, we list the things we're thankful for, and then we mind our minds, we focus on true things. Verse 7 tells us what the result is. And verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. When we take all our anxieties to God, we're not guaranteed to have everything turn out the way we wish it would go. But we are told this, we could receive peace. And friends, I promise you, what we want more than what we want is to experience peace. If I know that God is near me, I can walk through anything. No matter how hard it is, I can just experience that peace. And I have experienced that peace. And I pray that you have. Or if you have it, that you can subject yourself to it now. Because if you live out this calm strategy, it sounds, it's an acrostic. But if you truly recognize who God is, that he's near you, and celebrate that. If you don't turn away from him, but instead lean into him and ask him what you really want to see happen now. And then trust him that he's in control, that he's good, that he's going to work it out. If you list the things that you're thankful for, if you meditate and mind your mind on what is true, noble, excellent, praiseworthy, if you think about such things, then we can experience peace. We can be anxious for nothing. I want to end with just a way that you can take this verse and turn it into a prayer. When you're feeling particularly anxious, I want this to be a tool that we don't just look at for four weeks and we're just done with it. But rather, I hope that you will turn to Philippians 4, 4 through 8, whenever you experience anxiety. And this is how I pray through it. It's God, I choose to rejoice in you. Let my gentleness be evident to everyone. God, I know you're near, and I don't want to be anxious about anything. But even while I face, and then list the things that are making me nervous. 
Journal them down. Write one down. Write seven things down, whatever it is. Now say, I'll pray to you. I'll be thankful for the good things in my life. And I ask you to. And again, we give the very specific requests. Not that God help my marriage. Not the, oh my gosh, God, I need you. I need you. I need you in my marriage. It's, hey, God, this is where I need you to be involved in my marriage. This is where I need you to be involved in my workplace. This is where I need you to be involved in my family. And it's so, so specific. Then in verse 7, it reminds me that God, bring me your peace, which transcends all understanding, and guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. During this time, I want to mind my mind and help me to think about, and I can list the things that are true, that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, that are admirable, the things that are excellent are praiseworthy. And just list them down. Friends, if you're feeling particularly anxious, just write that prayer down in a journal and fill that out this week. Fill it out today. And one more thing, when um, Paul says that it will guard your hearts and minds, the people in uh, that city, they knew what it was like to have guards because they knew they needed guards. They needed protected. And so, friends, God says he will protect your heart and your mind. And that's a beautiful thing. Friends, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you're good, that you're in control. God, I just uh, ask that you be with each of our friends that are listening online and that they will just lean into you with their specifics. God, I don't know their specifics, but I know my own, and I pray that you will just help me to continue to bring those to you rather than turn from you. That, God, I'll be mindful of the things I'm thankful for. There's so many good things going on now, despite the hard things we're facing. And that, God, I hope that you will help me mind my mind, that each of us will do so, that, God, we'll be cautious during this time of all the media that we take in or all the things that are impure that could just be a distraction, the things that may give us temporary pleasure but aren't good things. Help us to be mindful of that in this season, God. We love you. We're thankful for Jesus, who gives us a reason to celebrate for sure. It's in his name we pray. Amen.